All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I think I got it. Are we in business? I think the people can hear us. Hey, there we go. Welcome into Oilers Nation every day, live from the Sports Closet studio. And we are streaming live on the Oilers Nation YouTube, where JT is in and says, disappointing, but we'll win the Cup next season. Uh, the Oilers eliminated in six games. Apologies for the uh, technical difficulties to start the show, as uh, I got to give credit to the comment. As Buster says, just like the Oilers' defense, we showed up but didn't do anything. Sean Bell around for our friends at Star Mechanical. Sean, that's just... Man, it, the amount of times you've come in to do this show, to break down an Oilers' playoff game, and we have to sit there and go, they didn't show up. It was, you know, in that sense, it was a fitting end of this season. Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was stuff that has plagued the Oilers all year. Yeah. That ultimately was the demise of the Oilers. The D zone, like three goals for sure, are all D zone related. And once again, second periods, like just absolutely killed them. And I, it, it's super frustrating. So I now know what it feels like to be a fan because I'm like, I was actually <laughs> invested for the first time in a long time. And man, I, I feel terrible. I feel yeah. terrible. It's an emotional roller coaster. It sucks. And, you know, they, uh, you hope that they have a good reflective off season and, you know, truly understand what it takes to get to the, to the next level. Right. Because I yeah. don't necessarily think that they truly understood what it was to win a cup. And it, and it reminds me a lot of, situation with Colorado where they had failure after failure after failure. Then all of a sudden you had McKinnon sit in front of everybody yeah. and he's like, I haven't won anything in nine years. And it kind of very similar to that. Yeah. I, I think that's a good point. I mean, for a lot of Oilers fans, I think the reason there was so much optimism this year is because 
one, the West looked wide open, right? You had Colorado get knocked off. A bunch of other teams just had bad years. It didn't seem like there were a lot of clear-cut contenders. The other side of it is you talk about those tough lessons you got to learn in the playoffs. A lot of people thought getting bounced by the eventual cup champions last year in round three, swept by them, would have been like the, oh boy, we need to find another gear moment for this team. But it wasn't, Liam. And you think back to last year and that run, even the games they lost, they were like largely competitive in them, right? Mm -hmm. And then you look at the games against Vegas here, and it was just these moments where they shot themselves in the foot. I keep coming back to it. But in the last two games here, you had a lead after the first 20. And then it's just the pedal went right off the gas. Pedal didn't go off the gas. You left the damn thing running, walked out, and just (laughs) stared at it. Like There was just nothing. The, The fact that they could go so flat and didn't have anyone or any sort of a will to turn that game back in their favor, it's stunning to see how they folded. Yeah, it was just kind of the same errors over and over again, right? Like you said, that kept plaguing this team. And it was, you'd think after a certain amount of time, you'd you'd figure that out, right? But yeah, it's very disappointing. And it's the hope that kills you and is 100% correct in this situation because this organization and as fans, we have gone through significantly worse times than getting bounced in the second round. But man, this does not feel good because the expectations are so high for this team. Like we all thought they were going to win the Stanley Cup this year or at least get close. And these last, this whole round, basically they did not look anything close to what this team truly should be. You you go back to last year and when the season ended to Colorado, it was one of those like, okay, they were dealing with some injuries at that point, you know, dry sidle and nurse. And they gave us the moment of beating LA and coming Mm -hmm. back the way they did the home ice game seven win, winning the battle of Alberta felt like almost the Stanley cup in a way, especially the way they did it. So when the season ended last year, it was just kind of like, Hey, like hell of a run, good stepping stone. And what's frustrating here, Sean, is it just feels like such a big step backwards. Oh, absolutely. Like you, you think that the team's a better team, right? Like you've got Kane here for a full season you add Bukestad at the deadline, you add Ekholm at the deadline, you know, you added pieces that elevated your team. So if you're the Oilers, you think, okay, well, we had a really good run the year before. Now we're coming into this season in the playoffs and we've got a bigger team. We can play any style. We're, we're a better team and we should be able to do it because like you mentioned, the West was wide open in particular, as soon as Colorado, I think finished, like the Oilers should have been like, Oh, this is our opportunity. But for whatever odd reason, you, they scored a goal and it started all the way back in the LA series. You score a goal and then all of a sudden you feel good about yourself. It's like they rode that wave of momentum, right? You score, you feel great. And then the next shift, it's like, bang, here we go. Where there's some adversity that we're facing and they couldn't fight through that adversity, which is really disappointing because this team had the tools to get to where it wanted to go. I think that's a good one there. So let's get into our three big things for our friends at Betway because number one on my list is fighting through adversity. And you look back at game five, right? You go down five on three and they score bang, bang, two goals. Nothing in there of, okay, let's go have a tone setting shift and, yep. and you know, run the Golden Knights a couple times, get some pucks on net, start turning this back. And our, no, they folded. And some calls didn't go their way. They folded. You think of game three, the, no high, the high stick on Yamo, folded. Last night. Score a couple of goals, things aren't going your way. And it was just kind of like they have this mindset of, oh, just we'll get through this period instead of like, no, no, let's try to actively turn the tide back in our favor. And again, last night there were non calls, a lot of them in the first, the Echo one and third, but no ability for this team to just like put that behind them and move forward. I even go to the Petrangelo thing a little bit. 
And it was hilarious in the moment to watch Bukestad and Drysaddle do their little stick thing. But then you look back at it in hindsight and you go, what were you worried about in this hockey game? Were you worried mm-hmm. about getting in Petrangelo's face or were you worried about trying to win? Because for big number 29, I think it might have been more of the second one there. So the lack of ability to fight through adversity, again, after you went on a run last year and you should have learned some of these lessons. Liam, that's really disappointing that this team, and I don't know if it's a leadership thing, if it's just, I, I'm at a loss for words with it, but they couldn't fight through that stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's true, isn't it? And there was just, like you said, so, so many moments where it's like, well, why aren't you showing up in this game? And like the games in this series where the others really performed, I thought were the ones where they were physically engaged and trying to bully Vegas around yeah. a lot more. And they just really got away from that in four games, which was very odd. They just couldn't find any consistency in their game. And yeah, there was moments where refs are missing calls. It's happening every single series. They miss calls on Vegas and they yeah. managed to fight through it perfectly fine, right? So for me, it's it's just very strange where this team failed in areas, especially who this team is, like where they got to last season. And to be honest, just a lot of passengers, a lot of passengers who should have been way better than they were. And I'm not even talking about people in the bottom six. It's like yeah. Kane, I think, was fighting. That's my second stuff. big thing, by the way. So let's move into it. Okay. You go no, no, go. Oh, yeah. like, it, I was just saying, like, on. Kane, I know he's he looked banged up, but like he didn't take morning skates very often. But like well, he showed moments in this playoffs where he could be engaged in it. And then showed other moments where he's like, I don't think he really gave a shit if he was playing hockey or not, to be honest. And like, like you know, the, the funny part of that whole situation is like, you think about the Oilers and how they really play. Mm-hmm. Like, who are the Oilers? Mm-hmm. And obviously, you have McDavid, you have Dry Settle, so you have that elite level talent. And you could probably pull yourself out of any game. Mm-hmm. But when the Oilers are actually going, like they're a pretty simple team. Yeah. Like they get it down low. They use your big body. They, you know, they load a high with pucks and they get it on net and guys crashing the net. But if you looked at the games that they were behind and all of a sudden they couldn't catch up, everything for the most part was to the perimeter. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, it's almost like they kind of lost their identity saying like, okay, well, we have the two best players arguably in the series and we're just going to like, hit backdoor passes, cross ice plays all this, all the time. And we're going to score. But mm-hmm. all Vegas did was just sit back. They collapsed all five guys in front of the net and they made it almost impossible, save for maybe three or four opportunities in the third mm-hmm. where, you know, pucks were to Ekholm or, you know, Cun goes through the slot or McDavid quick play in the middle. But outside of that, they weren't who they normally are. Yeah. I, Skill can get outdone by Will, I think, yeah. in most cases. And I think that's kind of what happened a little bit in this series. But I, I like the point you made, Sean, about we think of the Oilers as like a running gun flashy team because we see the highlights of those good rush goals. But you're right. When they're at their best, it's that skill combined with their size. McDavid and Dreisaitl are very difficult to knock off the puck. Evander yeah. Kane, Zach Hyman, when he's at his best, very difficult mm-hmm. to knock off the puck. And that's a handful right there. When they can work that possession game down low, that's when other teams start to take penalties on them. Yep. They're reaching in. The, the shifts get extended. The D-men get worn down. And they really weren't doing that. And there were too many moments in this series, both at home and on the road, where it seemed like the first 10 minutes of games, they were just trying home run pass, home run pass, trying to make a play off the rush. And, and you're not going to beat a team in a best of seven doing that. And I think that's an area where I probably overlooked this a little bit in terms of this matchup, but also an area where Kane and Hyman come into play. Because if they're yeah. at their best, they're a big part of that down low cycle recipe. And those two not showing up really, really hurt this team. 
The Oilers' third best forward this playoff shouldn't have been Warren Fogle. <laughs> Jesus. No. <laughs> to be honest, it shouldn't, right? Oh, like, you look at those guys, like, they're paid, they're not paid a ton. Mm-hmm. What are they, all around $5 million each, right? But, like, they're paid to show up in these moments, and I get it. Like, yeah. injuries come into play and everything, but everybody's heard this time of season, man. Like, you've got to you got to fight through it and just show some kind of contribution. And Nuge got a little bit better in the assist department. Like, he had a three-assist game against Vegas in game five the last yeah, one right but, uh, but like I mean, one goal isn't yeah. good enough like you have to show up and there's some stuff out there's oh he, he played with bukestad he's like play two games with bukestad Bukestad's like, a pretty good player he's a pretty he's a really body. good player yeah he can get to the net he can make plays mm-hmm. like it's the same reason why they wanted to get him like what was it last off season they tried yep. to get him yeah yep. never it never came to fruition so like you know that's a it's a tough argument for me but mm-hmm. you know like just going back to the whole situation like the failure to adapt to the situation Vegas starts to overplay dry side on the power play. And yeah. now what do we do? We just like, we keep trying to get it to him, even though you've got Hyman down low, who is notoriously very good down low and making mm-hmm. quick plays. Um, Bouchard, like in the last few games, wasn't shooting the puck as much as he normally does. Mm-hmm. Like they just, in Vegas, honestly, it seemed took him off their game completely. <laughs> yeah. Which is extremely alarming. Because this is the core, right? Like, this is yeah. the team right now. Like, everyone's kind of talking in the chat, like, we need to do this, this, and this. It's like, there's only a few moves they can really make this summer. Like, what, six million in cap space it, next year? It, it's eight right Start. now, and it'll depend how much the cap ends up going up. And yeah. we'll we'll have Frank Cervalli on in about 15 minutes here to discuss that a little bit more. There's some people in the chat, though. I'm interested for your take before I get to my third big thing. But people saying Woodcroft got out coached in this one. I thought in round one, he was actually a big reason they won. Those adjustments he made to go against the 1-3-1 of LA, everything worked well. Did he get out coached against Vegas or was that just more of a product of the players on the ice, not the strategy or approach from the coaches? I would say it's a bit of both. Like I, I thought that in particular in game six, I think he overthought himself. Like he thought about how do I make this adjustment, that adjustment, and how can I get these guys together way too much instead of saying, hey, these are our horses. We've got the matchups we want. Just go ride, right? Um, Which is exactly what Vegas did. Like, they didn't care whether they're at home on the road. Hey, what um, Eichel and Marsha Mm Scholl, you guys are going on the ice and you're going to do your thing. So, you know, I thought there was too much adjustment from Woodcroft, in particular in game six. But I don't know if he necessarily got out coached. I thought there was, you know, some really good adjustments by Vegas. Um, but at the end of the day, like I'm sitting here looking at the players and saying, like, did you guys run out of gas? Were you, you know, like what was the what was the issue and why you couldn't, you know, impose your will in that series? Yeah, I, I agree. Like it's, it is kind of a bit of both. And I think eventually it does come down to the players come going out on the ice and performing. Like you said, like the others do play a relatively simple style and the amount of guys that didn't show up. And a lot of people are saying like Woodcroft is inexperienced, which I think is absolute trash. He's been around for so, so He's long. He's been on an NHL yeah. bench for over a decade. Literally a Stanley Cup winner. So it's just like, yeah, like when you get in the playoffs, like, I'm sorry, but as a coach, mm -hmm. you want to take a step back and you want to sit there and say, there's not much more I can teach you. I'll give you the adjustments that you want, but this is your time. Players go do it. Yeah. And some players rise to the occasion. Other players don't. I mean, look at Florida, for example, that's a perfect example. Okay. So (laughs) you weren't healthy all year. You struggled to get into the playoffs. Now you're in the playoffs and you're like, Oh, Florida might actually win this thing right now based on the way they're playing. 
So mm-hmm. what's the difference between that situation, right? Where Paul Maurice is, he's a good coach too. Yeah, very good. But now those guys have risen to the occasion and you've got, we're sitting here t- today talking about, well, what happened in the locker room and Woodcroft getting no coach and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Like, no, mm. like players have to play and they have to rise to the occasion. Yeah. Uh, third big thing. I, I don't love doing this, but it, it's absolutely a reason why they lost. And it's between the pipes. I mean, last night again was for the nth time in this playoff run. Stuart Skinner, were any of them weak goals? No. That first one, that's a stoppable puck, though. Yeah. There was a couple in there. The one where it hits him goes straight up in the air. I, I think that's a stop. Like, that's a play where you can control that puck a little bit better. I don't know. I just, they made it to game six of the second round without their goalie stealing them one. That's just not good. Like, he, he is yeah. in the group, and I'm not bailing on him as the goalie of the future. Him and Campbell are back next year. 7.6 mil. That's a good price tag. I said on the pregame show yesterday, there's a legitimate case to go with Jack Campbell in that game. I, I think maybe, again, hindsight, I, I understand all that. I think they maybe should have considered that because Stuart Skinner, again, was below average. You can't win a game if your starter has a 770. Aiden Hill stole that game for Vegas last night in the third period. Yeah, he he was phenomenal. And he's a guy that most people overlooked, I think, coming in even to the season, not yep. even this series in general. And and Stuart Skinner, I'm with you. Like eventually it comes down to your goalie. Like I know I've kind of been on the back and like your team needs to play better in front of you. Like, but also you're right, Tyler. Like sometimes the goalie's got to make a save. And that third one really kind of bugged yep. me because he literally watched it kind of go over. It's like at least going back into your net or something to try and protect it. But also like where's the guys? protecting the net as well. Like nobody was on Marsh so there, but Skinner's got to be better. And yeah, the others got out dueled in between the pipes by Aiden Hill and Brassoir. And that is one thing. And it's easy to look back on now. Of course, I, I think there should have been a goalie change at some point. Maybe. Skinner played a lot and he's never played that much in the NHL before. Like sometimes you got to look at Jack Campbell and just, Maybe you just got to show a little bit of faith. So, so he started 12 consecutive games for the Oilers in this playoff run. Yeah. During the regular season, the most he ever played in a row was six. And you think about Minnesota early in their round. I know they ended up losing, but it started this conversation of like, hey, why during the regular season do you always rotate goalies? Boston with Allmark, you're always rotating. Then the playoffs come and you go, I'll play the same guy 24 nights in a row. Why not? <laughs> like maybe there is an adjustment. And again, just to go back to Skinner, like average every night. And you look at every the team night. still standing right now. In the East, Freddie Anderson. These are his safe percentages in their four wins against Jersey. 931, 955, 966, 944. He steals some games. You look at Bobrovsky, man, he stole them some hockey games. Stole them a series, essentially. And it just just never felt, and again, the defensive issues, I'm acknowledging them. I'm not ignoring them. There was never a moment where it was like, the Oilers are getting badly outplayed, but they're still in the game because of their goaltending. Yeah, the the first goal, I I do agree with you. It's a a stoppable puck. Um, you know, me, because I'm a coach, I think about it a little bit differently because I, I agree with all the points on Skinner in the sense that like yeah. he, he needs to make those big saves if at least one or two to, to kind of keep the game closer. However, like I, I look at this defensive zone and since day one of the season, they were awful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the first one, okay, Riley sneaks into kind of the soft area of the ice. He gets a puck. It's a one-timer. You know, Skinner's not quite set, but like Bouchard, 
why are you trying to creep into the pile when your guy's standing literally right next to you? And you, so you lose that, that coverage. And then you've got, I think it's uh, the second goal. Marsha show all of a sudden dry settle loses his check. Yeah. He sneaks in back door. They throw a puck on. There's a rebound wide open. Third one, three guys collapse to the same guy instead of just taking a peek over the shoulder. And there's two guys standing wide open in front of the net. Now, once again, I fully agree with the fact mm-hmm. that the puck, he saves it, goes up, it comes behind him. But like, guys, what are we doing yeah. on the defensive yeah. end? Like, I almost want to say, like, you, you mentioned that Aiden Hill won the game for Vegas, but like, is it that or is it the fact that the Oilers were just like garbage in the D zone <laughs> and that yeah. actually lost in the game? Like they lost the game themselves. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the identity of this whole series for the Oilers is I think the Oilers lost this series on their own, not being outplayed I, by I Vegas by six yeah. games. But what I guess, Sean, like, what do you think this team needs the most? It doesn't have to be like this guy, this guy, this guy, but like, what is this team missing right now that they could have really used to help them advance? To at least the conference finals. I think they're missing two pieces. Okay. And one of them's defensemen. Yeah. And I think, you know, some guys took some steps uh, this season. DeHarnay in particular is a guy that took a step. He was in the minors. He moved mm. up to the NHL. Like there's something there in that defenseman. And obviously he's starting to come around. So there, there's guys that have taken steps. Mm. But at the same time, I think they need another defenseman. Um, and then I think they need a second line right wing. Yes. And, I, and I don't need it to be a guy that's going to put up 50, 60 points. I don't need that. But I need a guy that's like, <clears throat> let's say he's defensively responsible. Mm-hmm. He'll give you 15 to 20 goals and he might give you 40 points. But at the same time, he's got a little bite. Yeah. That's what you want to see. Mm-hmm. Who's that player? I don't know. Yeah. But they, they just need something that's going to round out their team. Well, yeah, and as as we kind of shift the conversation away from what happened last night, what happened in the series to how where where you go from here, you look at the top six we kind of have on the board here. I mean, five of them are locked in. Those are Kane, Drysdale, McDavid, New Chiman. Those are bona fide top six guys. They're all back next season. They're all back the year after. So you're looking for one complimentary piece to join them. I don't think the answer is Kyler Yamamoto. I love the guy. He's great in the room. I think he's been a good soldier for them. I think. You know, he's a good, decent third, fourth liner. He was paid a yep. million and a half. Well, and now, but like, we're back to that debate <laughs> again, the right? the Puliarvi debate. Yeah, right? the Puliarvi debate, the Zach Cassian debate. Oh, if he made less, yeah. so you, you might have to make a hard decision there. You look in the bottom six, Ryan McLeod, they'll re-sign him. They'll, they'll find a way to bring him back. Warren Vogel, in a matter of six weeks, went from lock to be traded like we spoke the, about him going on waivers yeah. way back when he was brutal. I, I think that guy's going to be back next year. I think <laughs> yeah, he's got to be. I don't think he can move him at this point. Yeah. 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 So I, I think Yamamoto is probably the piece you're moving out of there. And then there's also probably going to be a little bit of reliance on the next wave coming up, Liam, right? A Holloway being a full-timer next year. I know he was until he got yeah. hurt, but you look at Lavoie as well. Like he's a guy that is, is waivers yeah. eligible next season. So they got to make a decision on him. He hasn't been fantastic his entire time in Bakersfield, but this last season he was unreal. But like, where do you put him? I guess. Do you know what's yeah. really funny before we move on from this? When you were describing what the Oilers need in the second line center, 
until you got to the bite, I thought that's exactly what Yossi Pugliarvi was until like this season. Like he had like 2021 Pugliarvi. That was exactly yeah. what he was. Right. And he's just yeah. like, man, like if he could have just kept going, it's obviously easy to look back on. But I thought, oh, I recognize that. Yeah, <laughs> that that's exactly, that's almost exactly what they <laughs> yeah, mean. Like, like here's I, another big body that can defensively, defensively yeah. knows where to stand, yeah. knows where to go. Yeah. yeah. Two fights this season. Goon. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> uh, the other big pressing thing, Sean, this offseason, it's Evan Bouchard. Guy needs a new deal. No arbitration rights. So that works in the Oilers' favor, but that probably almost just works more in the they're gonna bridge this dude, which feels risky. Like you probably want to lock him down for as long as you possibly yeah. can right now. And you know, is 5 million the number? I don't know. But like, if you can get five or six years out of them at 5 million, you're probably yeah. like saying, you know, it's a pretty good deal. However, I don't think you can give him 5 million because I don't think you have the cap space for that. Not if you want to bring everybody back that you want yeah. to, which is, you know, the cloud you want to bring, do you want to bring back Yanmark? Do you want to bring back Ryan? Like there's some pieces there, guys that maybe they're not as notable guys, but they're, they're valuable pieces. Mm -hmm. Ryan to Mm -hmm. me is a really smart player. He's good on the kill. How do you get rid of a guy like that? I think he's so valuable too. Yeah. He's so versatile. And he like contributes very well offensively consistently too. Like it's kind of weird. Like for a guy that plays what, maybe 10, 12 minutes a night, you notice him when he's not in the lineup. And like, we talked about Fogel, right? And that's a guy who, okay, he'll get you 12 to 15 goals, but you know, there's six of them coming in one 12 game stretch. <laughs> yeah. Then it's 40 games of nothing. And then there's another eight of them coming in the final 20. Derek Ryan, will get you almost the same production, but he'll do it like once every five games. Boom. There's your Derek Ryan goal. Yeah. There's your Derek Ryan goal. Like he is the, the model of consistency in that bottom six. Uh, just quickly on Bouchard, one comparable maybe. And we're going to, again, talk to Frank about this. Noah Dobson out on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Got a three-year deal, $4 million AAV. I don't think he had arb rights when he signed that either. Maybe that's a spot you'd probably go a little more because, again, as the league goes on, cap's going to creep up. Contracts get more expensive. So, like, three years by four and a half for Bouchard? Is that what you want to lock him in for, or do you want to lock him in for a little bit longer? I don't, I don't know he if want he that? wants that. Well, he probably doesn't yeah, want that. Yeah. Like for him, that's a terrible decision. But, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're the Oilers, okay, well... You know, Drysaddle McDavid, their contracts are done in three and four years. Um, you probably are going to have to try to have money to sign him, yeah. at them at that point. And so, you know, can you commit Bouchard to five years now and then hopefully have a little bit of money left over to be able mm-hmm. to do that? But it, it's an interesting offseason for sure. Um, you know, you, you have to, you almost have to bridge Bouchard for sure. Yep. I, I think so. I just, and again, that's a guy who he should be looking at the last two months of his season here <laughs> and going, oh yeah, in three years when I'm 27 and I'm going to hit unrestricted free agency the first year I'm eligible, yep. cap could be up 10, 12 mil by yeah. that point. That's a guy who's probably just going to be licking his chops, looking to cash in on a Darnell Nurse style deal, right? So we'll see. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting off season here in Edmonton and uh, it might not be Ken Holland calling yeah. the shots, which is Ooh. interesting. Frank Saravalli is going to join us in a bit with a report that Steve Stales could very well be the next GM of the Edmonton Oilers. So, I mean, may, maybe that's even a good thing for this team just to get a fresh set of eyes and a fresh yep. perspective on this group to try again. <laughs> we're, look across country to Toronto. They're talking about wholesale changes, yep. major pieces going out of the lineup. 
the Oilers, Sean, should be able to build some amount of momentum next year because it should be the same core coming back. I agree. Like, I, I think they're close. And yeah. I know that, you know, Oilers fans, now being an Oilers fan, <laughs> wants to set this place on fire. But honestly, I don't think you need to set it on fire. I think you mm-hmm. need to find the guys that, you know, can contribute, are valuable to your team. Mm-hmm. And you bring those guys back and then that you add little pieces like Holloway coming in, you know, a little bit of youth, more speed. He's got some size. He could actually be a good fit for the second line. Potentially yep. um, Buke's dad, you want him back because of his side, his size and the ability to play in the PK. And, you know, is there a forward somewhere out there with the initial CB that you could possibly bring in? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, that, <laughs> look it up yourselves, people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, connect the dots. We'll, uh, that is a name we will probably be hearing a lot of over the next little bit. Uh, Sean, it was a pleasure having you on the show, man. We're yeah, going to awesome. definitely keep this rolling next year. Absolutely. Yeah. Love to. Thanks hey, for dropping take in. Take care. There you go. Sean Bell for our friends at Star Mechanical. We'll step aside quickly and then Frank Cervalli right around the corner. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There you go. Big shout out to our boy Sean Bell for hopping on the show once again. It was fun to get his, like, it's a unique perspective, Mm -hmm. right? He has that playing background. He has the coaching background. He made us smarter during this playoff run. He did. I do see the game slightly differently now that yep. I had someone intelligent tell me about it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> speaking of intelligent guests, we are keeping it rolling. It's a post-mortem day here on Oilers Nation every day, uh, live from the Sports Closet Studio. And our pal Frank Saravalli is by Frank. As you can imagine, it's a pretty disappointed YouTube chat today. Yeah, and I get it. Look, um, this is the team I picked to win the Stanley Cup. I thought they were locked and loaded. I thought, you know, even in the last few minutes of the game and as the third period was wearing on yesterday, you're like, when is Connor McDavid going to put on his cape and and yeah. sort of will this team back in? And it's even kind of hard to believe that they just weren't able to, to get a little bit more accomplished uh, the way game six played out. Yeah, it's disappointing, man. Like, I feel like a broken record just looking back on all these losses and going – 
you killed yourself. Mm-hmm. Two back-to-back second periods where you just implode and there was no one on that roster who showed any sort of want or will to turn the tide of that game. It just felt like as soon as this Oilers team hit any sort of adversity, they caved. And and that's a that's majorly concerning to me. Yeah, I think you're a little bit harsh and I understand why okay. you react that way. Uh, honestly, like you win as a team, you lose as a team, as Jay Woodcroft said after the game. But I, I pin so much of it on on goaltending. I mean, you yeah. can't have a sub 900 save percentage in the playoffs and think that you're going to have any chance to win, which is what Stuart Skinner had in, in the entire run. And then more to the point, you implode in back-to-back second periods. And the reason why is because you can't get a stop. You know, you yeah. need something from someone to to stave off the bleeding. And when you have a save percentage that starts with a seven in the last two games, like you got no prayer. I don't care who's in net, what what's on the nameplate. It you just have no chance of success. So I think it's a little bit too simplistic to boil it down to just goaltending. But I, I think that's one thing that really bit the Edmonton Oilers this year in their run is it's kind of not all that different than some of the other runs we've seen previously going back to losing in the bubble in five games to Chicago. Like you just, you need goaltending at the most critical time of the year and without it, you're nothing. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, we've kind of spent the first half hour of the show dissecting what we saw in this series and what we saw last night. So with you, I want to start looking forward a little bit. There are questions about Bouchard and the right side and the bottom six. But before we get to any of that, Ken Holland might not be the one signing those contracts and and being the one negotiating those deals. Take us through the report you had today on the DFO rundown. Yeah, I think this is something that's uh, sort of very quietly been in the works. And just to be clear for everyone watching, like has nothing to do with the result of this season. Um, the Edmonton Oilers have known for a while that someone working for them and Steve Steos, someone that's been a trusted advisor, um, is, is a potential GM candidate elsewhere. I think particularly with regards to the Ottawa Senators bid and if Michael Ann Lauer, uh, who is a part owner in the Montreal Canadiens currently and, and also owns the OHL's Hamilton Bulldogs where he had a lot of success with Steve Steos. If he's the guy that wins the Sens bid, the Oilers know they're going to be in a dogfight to try and keep him. So basically the way I framed it on the DFO Rundown podcast today with Jason Greger was the Oilers are going to be really proactive and protective of Steve Steos. And that's, I think, the best way to explain it. Um, I think in a perfect world, they would have Steve Steos promoted to general manager and and Ken Holland promoted to uh, president of hockey ops and then go from there. Um, But he's certainly someone that they don't have any interest in losing. And I think that, you know, there may not be a seismic change in terms of this roster for next season, but I think you could see, as as mentioned, a pretty significant offseason change for the Oilers and their front office hierarchy. So if, if I'm kind of just reading between the lines a little bit, trying to connect things like the likelihood of Ken Holland signing another contract to be GM of the Oilers, because he only has the one year left, probably pretty slim, right? So it's just a matter of, I mean, this is kind of the contingency plan, right? Like the natural flow of putting someone else in that seat. Yeah, I don't even think the Steve Steos part, um, or or if you want to back it up to the the, the first part of your your statement, 
I don't think Ken Holland was signing another contract to be the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers again. I think at some point his thought process is after a lifetime in the game to, to take a step back and do something a little different, slow down a bit. I don't think retire was quite in his vocabulary, but um, I think that's sort of been the thought process. And if you know, you also arrive at this exact juncture where you then need to replace him and you have someone in-house that you really like, you don't let that person get away. And so it would be Steve Steos with um, a healthy dose of Brad Holland as assistant GM, along with a lot of um, continued advice from Paul Coffey, who plays such a significant role in this front office that no one really knows about. Um, that's sort of the, the path and thought process, I think, from behind the scenes for the Oilers. An interesting trio there. I know a lot of people are big fans of Brad Holland. He's a guy who, you know, kind of values analytics and things like that. So if it was a matter of him and Steos having a bit of a larger voice and a larger say in things, is it fair to say it could be an Oilers team that's maybe starting to be built in more of like an analytical direction, Frank? Yeah, I I don't know if that's totally fair because I think the other part of it is that uh, they've been getting some of that input already. Like Brad Holland has had a hand in in a lot of the moves that have been made to this point and uh, certainly an opinion and viewpoint. Um, and not only that, but when you think about how the Oilers are built in general, like I said, I don't, I don't see a ton changing. You're going to have some periphery moves. You're going to have some roster depth pieces. But for the most part, you know, outside of potentially moving on from a you know, Kyler Yamamoto or Warren Fogle or whatever it is to try and create a little bit more cap flexibility. I don't see anything crazy coming in terms of how this team is put together. So will you see anything in the in the short term? Probably not. But I think one of the keys to, you know, this sort of idea that analytics is a different way of, of thinking is I think you just try and pile up as many little wins as possible on the margins to try and improve your team, whether it's a percentage point here or there, that I think ultimately when you stack 8, 10, 12 of those little wins upon each other together, that's really when you start to see a little bit of a difference. And so, um, you know, again, a lot to be determined. I don't think any of this is preordained by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly um, something that has been percolating behind the scenes for a while. So if that's maybe the first order of business, something else that's going to be need to take need to get taken care of, I would assume early in the off season is a new contract for Evan Bouchard. In your opinion, do you think it's going to be a bridge deal no matter what, or is there an outside chance they find something long-term here with Bouch? Well, um, it's funny that you said early in the summer, because I think in a perfect world, the Oilers wanted to get something done a while ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't know how quickly this is going to come together because part of this becomes a leverage issue. Bouchard is in this spot where because of the way his contract broke in terms of the slides and the experience that he's gained in the league at this point in time, he doesn't have any arbitration rights, which is really where you start to gain some leverage. The only thing he can really kind of dangle over the Oilers is this idea that um, they, you know, he could be subject to an offer sheet, which of course he could. Uh, and we've seen some in recent years where that is the case. I think it's a rather long shot, but if you're someone that wants to put a wrinkle into the Oilers and how they do business, maybe that's a player that you end up targeting. You see how critical and important he was to their blue line. I'm not 
you know, certainly um, saying anything like that is likely. But the point is, if you're looking for a leverage point in Bouchard's camp to try and avoid a bridge deal, perhaps that's one path you go down. Um, That's what the Oilers want to do. They'd like to get him on a two-year bridge deal somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, $4 million, like somewhere in that range, three and a half. Um, Will they be successful in doing that? Is that something that he's interested in doing? Again, there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle to put together. And I just think, you know, maybe even if you have to bite the bullet in the short term, that paying a little bit more now might save you a little more headache later. But it's you could make the argument any which way you want, guys, because the truth mm-hmm. is the Oilers don't really have a lot of space to go around, and we'll see what they can create by the guys that they move off and also by what the cap goes up by this summer. Yeah, okay, so that's an interesting one, right? Because a lot of people are kind of going with the assumption, hey, this team's only going to have you know six to eight mil because the cap's only going up one to one and a half. But there is, I know I've asked you this before, but I'll ask again, there is a real chance this thing goes up like three or four million, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think it's, in fact, the most likely avenue, given where we are with um, revenues, given where we are with the amount of money that's been paid back, probably 95 or 97% of the debt that was owed from players to owners. And I just think there's no one, no stakeholder that's involved in this process wants to see the, the cap frozen for another year. Yeah. The only real winner in that is is really no one because at the end of the day, once that debt is paid off, um, the players still get a 50-50 split. So let's say the cap is is artificially low for another year and that debt is paid off sooner and you have uh, you know revenue that essentially flows over what those expectations are. The owners then have to write a check back to the players at the end of next season. So it becomes a, you know, uh, a who's paying who type scenario. Should the players just be getting more from the start? Should teams have more flexibility from the start? There's a lot of things to consider. Um, and I still think at this point in time, as we've yet to get any sort of substantive negotiations yet, that uh, that seems to be the most likely path. Got anything on your brain, Liam? I got a lot on my brain, Tyler. <laughs> I'll ask you one question, Frank. Uh, just uh, Nick Bukestad, I think, came to his team at the deadline and was pretty impactful. They tried to play him in the top six in the playoffs, too. Do you think as a guy that could come back next season? Um, I guess for how much, too? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Obviously, the Oilers really liked his size. Um, I think he's someone that kind of seemed like when he first got there, he hit the ground running. And then mm-hmm. I think there was, is it probably fair to say there was a little bit of a lull in his game between? Um, and then sort of kind of picked it right back up at the end a little bit. The last maybe four or five games you were like, even in this round, you're like, Oh, he's definitely more noticeable. Um, so, you know, is it, is it possible? Of course. Is he looking for a raise and what did he think of the fit? Um, I think that's important to consider as well, because you could make the argument with a guy that has scored 17 goals this year. Um, you know, didn't have much to show for it by way of assist that he's probably in line for a bit of a raise and probably not one that the Oilers are going to be interested in handing out. Yeah, I think that's a good point as well. And if if they want to do it, you're going to have to 
find a way to move off from some salary. Mm-hmm. And I think the obvious candidates, Kyler Yamamoto, maybe a guy like a Cody Cece as well. Warren Fogel, although he had a great playoffs, probably still in that mix as well. Right, Frank, are those kind of the three pieces you do you agree with that? Those are the three pieces you can move to try and get some cap relief. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. Those are the three pieces that I think they'd consider, um, you know, certainly trying to move. What's the interest level going to be like? Um, that's another question. I think you could find a taker for Cody CC somewhere. I think it's going to be a lot harder to move someone like Yamamoto and or Fogel given their la- relative lack of production compared to where they're at on the cap. Yeah, that is uh, mm-hmm. that is totally fair. Uh, what's going to go on in Toronto, Frank? I want to get to that before we uh, let you go. Yeah, you know, I, it's still, we're in the theater of the unknown right now. And Brendan Shanahan not taking the, the podium today to discuss the Toronto Maple Leafs and their changes, uh, which we will see begin to see unfold in the next little bit. Kyle Dubas is expected to address the media. Um, the fact that Shanahan isn't, and he's sort of done so to this point, you know, more or less in lockstep with Dubas makes you wonder, are A, they considering changes, or B, is he waiting on some sort of sign-off from Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment mm-hmm. as to what uh, that next contract would look like for Kyle Dubas? Like, that's the big part of it is there's – I've been reporting on this for, you know, weeks and or months now. There's definitely been friction there between Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan. I think the big thing at play is who has final say and control in Hockey Ops Matters. To this point, Brendan Shanahan has wielded the hammer. We're also entering uh, year nine of the Shanna plan without really much playoff success to speak of. They're 11 wins short of the Stanley Cup. And, you know, it's interesting. The Oilers and the Leafs go out in the same round of the playoffs. The Oilers manage one more win in the postseason. And on the one hand, you look at that and you say, these are two similar failures. And on the other, I think you look at this and you say, The Oilers, they ran into a good team. They played uh, the second round and were clearly the second best team in their their series. Uh, Whereas the Leafs, they lost to the eighth seed. They appeared to be absolutely lost in the woods and were down three nothing in that series and their core four, which they pay almost half of the salary cap space allotted to them. They didn't show up. So... I think there's significantly more questions. I think the Oilers are a good team that that lost and didn't play well at the right moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Leafs are a team that has a lot of searching to do. Yeah, that's fair. Who do you got in game seven tonight, Seattle-Dallas? You know, everything in my gut says um, says Dallas. I think they're the better sort of playoff prepared team. But something about the Seattle team, I'm, I'm taking the Kraken. I think, you know, they've at every turn, you're thinking they can't possibly pull this off. They did it in round one against the defending champs in Denver. Why not do it again in Dallas? Yeah, why not? All right, Frank, well, we'll be chatting a lot over the next, uh, well, we got 37 shows remaining, but who's counting? We'll be uh, chatting with you on a few of them here. Thanks for hopping on. Hang in there, guys. Yeah, there you go. Frank Cervalli for our friends at Star Mechanical. Uh, AMA Travel Out of Town Scoreboard. Liam, one game on tap tonight. It is Game 7, Seattle-Dallas. Yeah, I'm kind of with Frank. I just think that Seattle team is yeah. 
they they remind me of obviously the yeah, like plus one ninety on Betway too. Oh, oh man, make all my money back from last night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the obvious comparison is like what Vegas were able to do in yeah. their first year of expansion, but it's just like eventually it gets to a point where a team is having so much success, you have to start believing they can win yep. these big games, and they've been there before in the last series against the Stanley Cup champions. So I'm putting all my marbles on the Seattle Kraken. Yep, hundred percent. I, I, I'm with you, man. I got nothing to argue. Yeah. You doubt them at your own peril at this point. Three former Oilers in that lineup as well. Jelty, Ebbs, and Larson. Yep. So The boys. Uh, we're going to wrap up this edition of the show. But like I said, we're, we're still rolling five mm. days a week. And we're going to roll five days a week until our free agent special. And then we're going to do one more show after free agency. So 37 more of these bad boys to go. Yeah. And then we're going to knock it down to one a week for the rest of the summer, I think is our plan. Might be like a full week off in there yeah. at some point, but uh, we're going to keep going. So every day we'll have a Sherwood Ford giant offseason question. I'll be looking into the chat a lot. I know today we didn't have a ton of time for listener questions. So tomorrow we'll we'll leave the show open with no guest and we'll just dig into, dig into listener questions and all that stuff. Yeah. And- I feel like I know what a lot of the questions are going to be, but yeah, we, yeah. we're going to need everyone watching the show to kind of help us along until the, the free agency stars. We, so we will grind through this together. Yeah. Everybody, I guess we'll have some draft stuff. Some, yeah, we'll do some draft stuff. stuff. We'll definitely get some draft guests on. And yeah. Do some of that. Uh, I'm thinking we'll go around teams. the Pacific division kind of like yep, every second idea. or third show. We'll get a guest from a different team, talk about their off season mm-hmm. and what could go on there. So plenty of reasons to tune in every day at noon mountain time. We are, uh, not going anywhere, but it was uh, it was a lot of fun during that playoff run. Mm-hmm. We had some great moments. It's just it's such a damn shame. And I think it was Dave who just uh, commented now, but he had something earlier that last year was such a massive step forward. This year, in the moment, it feels like a step backwards, and that's what makes it sting the most. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Like I remember what I was. Do- I remember after the others got swapped by Colorado mm-hmm. last season in the overtime. I remember like. Because that Cassian was the one who scored the last goal of the yep. season last year for the Oilers, and just when the overtime happened, I, I didn't not care, but it was just like all right. you were at peace with them yeah. being eliminated. Yeah, but and la- I didn't get that last night. But last night, yeah, being at the game and just knowing that it was like one year ago that we were all there for Game Seven and the highs of that moment, yeah. and the game just started off so so well, and then just I think producer Aaron said it right before the show it was like it's a bit of a slow burn. <laughs> yeah, it was. Like, Man, and now you look at it and you're thinking like, well, which way do you go with this team? I, I think this team massively performed and I truly believe in guys like Skinner and even Dejanay and, and like Kane, Hyman, uh, Nuge. But like there is spots in this lineup that need to be improved till next season. And we will we will find the answer, Tyler. We will dig deep. <laughs> we will do our, into- our own internal audit of yes. this franchise over the next 37 shows. Yes. That's our promise to you. <laughs> Uh, shout out to all our sponsors who joined us through the playoffs as well. The watch parties at Greta were absolutely yeah. electric. Star Mechanical, Sherwood Ford, the Giant, AMA Travel, and our friends at Betway. Of course, every show live from the Sports Closet Studio. We're not going anywhere, mm-hmm. so we hope you tune in every day at noon Mountain Time. Thanks for watching throughout the playoffs. We had a really good damn time talking to you every day, and uh, we'll keep things rolling tomorrow. Talk to you then. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.